So we've talked about Flink, Kafka, Beam, and more. So isn't it about time for us to learn more about Apache Huron? So Kenny and I are joined today by Josh Fisher and Ning Wang to chat all about Heron, as well as Josh and Ning's new book, Grokken Streaming Systems, in this episode of Aventador Streams, a podcast about all things streaming data. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Aventador Streams. Today, Kenny and I are joined by Josh Fisher and Ning Wang, who are the co-authors of the new book, Grokking Streaming Systems, as well as both having really great backgrounds in history and actually working with streaming systems. So we're really excited to have them on the line today. Hey, Josh. Hi, Ning. How you doing? It's a good day so far. <laughs> well, we'll change that. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you both tell us just a little bit about yourself, a little bit of your background, you know, how you got to where you are now and how you got to where you were writing this book. Sure. Um, so I have been um, working in software for about the past five or six years, um, you know, just like everybody else, just had an interest in software, got self-taught, um, found that I was really bad at UI type stuff. I couldn't center it to <laughs> save my life. Um, still can't to this day. Um, so I got more into the data side of things, went to APIs and um, ended up getting involved in some open source project um, that was um, built out of Twitter. Um, that was a streaming engine called Heron. Uh, it's still around. And over the course of time, um, you know, I ended up kind of losing some of my personal life and investing some time into this project. Um, and then I've just been kind of stuck there ever since. Ning, how about yourself? Hey, uh, my name is Ning. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I've been working on software for quite a while. Uh, they are, they're interesting. So I like kind of inventing things without buying all the materials. All I need is a computer. That's good. It's kind of convenient. Uh, <laughs> right now, I'm an engineer uh, at Amplitude. It's a, it's a product intelligence startup. So I'm working on the data pipeline there. And before, I was in I, I was working at Twitter uh, in the real-time compute team. So we are the, basically the owner, maintainer of the obviously Heron project. It is, I think data processing is an interesting, interesting topic, not, really, not only streaming, but like overall data processing. There are so many data these days. Uh, so it's uh, like a fun area to work on. Super agree with that. There's a there's a reason why we're in the business that we're in as well. Um, it, it's interesting how things have, even over just the last year or two, have changed so significantly when it comes to overall data processing, especially stream processing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you guys have seen that, especially working with Heron and Twitter, which has, you know, obviously massive streaming data pipelines. Um, what are mm -hmm some of the ways that you guys have seen, we always like hearing from the folks who are on the podcast about the way that they've gotten into streaming and how streaming has evolved since they've done that. What are some of the ways that you guys have seen it evolve, whether it's use cases or the technology or, or whatever that might be? You know, um, as far as use cases, I think that they are expanding every day, you know, um, yeah. And as you know, as the technology is growing, it's becoming much easier to use. Um, even two years ago, or even a year ago, it was really hard to reliably create a streaming job. There's just, you know, with any new technology, it's it's great, it's awesome, but there's always some trade-off that comes off, right? And yeah, right. one of the biggest trade-offs in streaming jobs, really, you know, to me, is the whole reliability of your job. Is how do you guarantee that that event that hits that stream is going to be processed correctly? 
and then the yeah. results are going to be put somewhere because you just don't know. Like um, there's a big difference between not only once and exactly once, like a very big difference. <laughs> there's a little bit of a difference, right? And you know that, you know they, you know everybody wants to put these mission critical systems on these streaming jobs, and there's, I think it's a great, they're great candidates for it, but there's a lot of stuff that's got to be taken into consideration before you make that move. Yeah. And over the years, the um, evolution of frameworks like Kafka Streams or or Heron or Twitter uh, or Apache Storm, they've all um, kind of wrapped that really hard stuff to do under the covers and take care of that for developers so that they can just easily use their APIs. Yeah, we actually started mm-hmm. using Storm um, with with the, uh, I think the library is from Parse on top of it for Python way back mm-hmm. when. And it's because yeah. we're mostly because we're Python nerds and we're data nerds and Python was, you know, a good language for that. And that worked pretty good. Um, ultimately, we, you know, we switched away, into, you know, in favor of Flink. But boy, did we miss, you know, being able to use, you know, simple Python to build jobs. And um, you know, the language you're familiar with is oftentimes, you know, the one that's the one that's going to get you, you know, get you to the finish line just because your familiarity, even if it's a non-perfect fit. And that was definitely true in, in that case. Um but yeah, it, it and back then, and this is like three years ago. So it's a back, it seems like it's ancient now, as you were saying, to kind of underscore your point. But uh, yeah, it was really hard to do things correctly. It it just felt it felt unnatural for the longest time. I think we're finally starting to get there, though. Is that how you guys kind of feel? I think I think it's, that's the direction. Uh, I can make it easier. Uh, like streaming system, they solve a particular set of problems for us. It's like basically just a tool, and um, how to make it easier. I mean, the thing is, this thing is kind of complicated, uh, underlying. So how to make it easier for people to use, to maintain, it's definitely a critical part. And uh, I think that's the progress we are making. Every, all the frameworks are trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, with that, we've talked a lot on the podcast and we talk internally a lot about Kafka and Flink. And we know, you know, the usability improvements that have been made with that. But one of the things we haven't had a chance to talk about a lot lately that it, you know, you both have the background with is uh, Apache Heron and how that fits in within the streaming ecosystem. So would love it if you, you know, for those of us and our listeners out there who maybe don't have as much of a background in it would give kind of an overview of, of again, what that is and how it fits in with the ecosystem. I will compare with Kafka and, and Heron. Uh, my, my my experience with Flink has been a little minimal, but I think Ning can expand on that. Um, you know, so so Kafka, you know, started off as like um, as, as a pillar for processing events through a system, right? So it was, right. it was it was a queue, right? So everything would go to this thing, which is Kafka, and then something else would pull it off. So it's basically like a hub for all your data to go through. Um, that was the original, if I remember correctly, that was the original um, reason for Kafka, and then. You know, the, the popularity of streaming jobs started to come up and all these, you know, Apache Storm was, you know, uh, coming up and getting popular. And then um, Kafka came up with Kafka Streams, which is, you know, these lightweight functions that pull the events off the queues or off the topics and then place them on other queues. So now um, Kafka is like a self-service system in a way. You know, it's a queue and it's a it has data processing jobs or functions that do stuff. Right. Um, so. The nice thing about Kafka is it's like a, it's a standalone thing. Um, where I see Heron, what, well, the difference of Heron is I see Heron as the net that connects all the different data silos uh, across an organization. 
with any organization, especially legacy ones or even ones that haven't been around for that long, you know, you you get these different siloed data sources for for whatever reason, and it's really hard to connect the dots across all. And for me, I see Heron working really well as the mesh that connects all those different data points across data silos to make decisions on moving across. Heron is not a queue or a pub sub mechanism by any means. Um, it's more of like an underlying daemon that just that just processes the events as you need. <laughs> right. <laughs> For Hero, I did some like small research compare like Hero with the others. Like I think like we mentioned before, uh, all the systems, uh, data like streaming systems and other systems, and also different streaming systems, uh, they have their own like pros and cons, or they have their own like trade-offs. Uh, for for Hero, it's more kind of a architecture of Apache Storm, uh, based on some pain points Twitter had before. So for example, and the uh, Maintenance or investigation can be hard since uh, this, if the system is like black box. So for Hero, it's basically couples, many modules. And uh, if you have any issue, investigation can be more straightforward. It's like this component, you just uh, worry about the single component inside of uh, this whole thing. And also like Twitter has a lot of jo streaming jobs and they are they were like uh, under, they were implemented with uh, Apache Storm API. So like a backward mm -hmm. compatibility is really important for Hero. So that's basically the uh, the problem Hero wants to solve. Uh, on the other side, compared to the others, I think uh, one one feel is uh, is because we it is pretty much like a configurable and uh, modulized system. Uh, on the other side, the development and um, operational, uh, there the the learning curve can be a little bit steep. Compared to right. the others, since like I think Kafka Stream, Flink, they are fairly easy to use. Like you start the cluster and uh, have a simple job deploy. Uh, for here on, you need to understand a little bit more so that when you operate in production, you need to know them anyways. So that's kind of why what the decisions are made for for here on. It's like good and bad. Definitely, there are like many trade offs. Just the, the reason behind it. And all the systems are I think it's pretty fun to compare the differences. Uh, so that's. Uh, Give you, especially if you compare it with some like historical reasons, many of them like make sense this way, and uh, we'll see. Like, uh, uh, I think in the future they will emerge and uh, try to have a better one, like better and better systems in the future. Yeah, and I'd add, I'd add one actually. I just kind of underscore what you're saying, Ning. You know, I think with you know, if you're looking at a typical topology, uh, you know, enterprise wide, and you're thinking, you know, you maybe you're using Kafka as part of your, you know you're using a distributed log, maybe, maybe it's Kafka, probably it's Kafka. And you're trying to, you know, process those events, like you say, Josh, you know, between, you know, different data points in the enterprise, you know, the separation of concerns is important, I think, from an enterprise architecture standpoint. Like you don't, if you want to scale your Kafka cluster because you're putting, you know, you're, you're publishing a certain amount of events per second and you want to retain those events for a certain timeline, that's not always the same vector in which you want to scale, say, some processing, you know, componentry like, like Heron or, or, or Flink or anything else, even if you're writing your own microservices. And so like, I think if you're thinking like enterprise-wide and you're thinking big, being able to separate, you know, where your data lives and how it lives in that particular, um, in that particular realm, like in Kafka, in a distributed log structure, and then how you process that and deal with it in the enterprise, you know, maybe you're pushing data to S3 or maybe you're feeding some other microservice. Each one of those has its own ability to handle like late data each one of those has its own ability to deal with a certain rate of data. 
uh, maybe it's mm-hmm. down, you know, or whatever. And building a responsible infrastructure requires, I think, the separation of concerns. And that's why, at least me personally, I like when you think about these these topologies, I, I like the idea that something like, uh, you know, Heron can, can live in the middle uh, or maybe you call it on the top of Kafka uh, in this enterprise, you know, in a greater enterprise architecture. Um, because you, if you're a DevOps, you have much more control over how you manipulate data from various different sources and sinks, um, to use a to use a flink term. Um, and I think that's important. So I think that's another. If I if I could uh, humbly add one to your list, I, that's what I. That's how I'd say. That's what I say. I I can humbly agree. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what are I'm sure you both have seen some, because I, I know we've seen some really interesting use cases come through, and we've also seen some really interesting best practices and worst practices <laughs> happen as we have been working with folks. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, with what you guys have done, Josh, you said it really well earlier, the use cases are expanding every day. What are some of the ones that you guys have seen that keep you really interested and excited about what you're doing? And on that, what are some of the best practices that you guys have to recommend to folks as they're, whether it's on the you know developer side or the DevOps side, working with any of these technologies? Good question. No. <laughs> I try to stump people every so often. Uh, so the, the, the use case that really got me involved in streaming was real-time fraud detection. Uh-huh. So okay. credit card somewhere anywhere in the world. Um, that card's got to go through a series of rules, you know, to make sure that that transaction is is not fraudulent before you know the the customer's charged. Right. Um, and so that you know, to me, that whole use case, which was you know a big part of my life for a couple of years trying to work on it, was kind of what really got me interested in it because you know you learned. You know, the streaming part of it's great, and it's very interesting about how all these systems work underneath the covers, but then you also get into the domain knowledge of how does fraud detection work, you know, and then mm-hmm. you got to piece fraud detection and streaming together to actually come up with a working product. You know, that's what got me or got me interested in it. And as far as advice on, you know, getting into streaming, you know, it may not be the answer you're looking for, but I would say stay as simple as you possibly can until it doesn't work. Streaming systems are great. They can really move some mountains for organizations, but there is a cost um, that you have to be prepared to take on before you can make that, that leap. And you really have to understand the pros and cons of it. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. That is really good advice. You kind of want to walk before you run because, I mean, to your point, when you look at the fraud use case, fraud use case is actually one that we we talk about a lot internally. We have a lot of customers who are you know using us for fraud and the difference in a well-working fraud pipeline and a not well-working fraud pipeline can mean the difference of millions or more dollars and the reputation of your company or any other number of things. And it can be really bad. And it's a serious use case. Yeah. It is a serious (laughs) use case and it is not, you know, I, I laugh in a lot of these and I sort of make fun of marketing, but it's not like, oh, clickstream analysis. We're seeing how people are interacting with the website. Like that's really important. Don't get me wrong. That's how I do my job, but fraud can mean millions. And so having something that you know works and then slowly kind of scaling it up to do more and more. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's right. interesting, Josh, you brought that up because uh, you know, when we were start, uh, you've all probably seen it, right? You, you get a text on your phone that says, you know, you just spent whatever, you know, 
$28 at the gas pump was this you yes or no. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, that, that happened to me. I first experienced that, um, uh, when we, when we were kind of getting started with Aventador and, you know, we were starting to really dig into the streaming stuff and it was very exciting. And, and I had one of those things happen, um, when I was at the gas station and I thought to myself, okay, that's cool that like that happened in real time and they're checking in real time, but that wasn't the real cool thing. That, that was part of it. I was like, okay, streaming data, super important, super neat. But to me, the thing was, is that they, re it wasn't just like some, um, unsupervised machine learning, you know, algorithm decided that that was bad or whatever. Somebody had figured out like, well, why don't we just ask the user, like, was that you? And let's connect with our customers in a different way that we had done before. And for me, the thing that absolutely blew my mind was it was a short text message, like whatever many characters, like, I don't know, 20, 15. It happened near instantly. It engaged me as a customer to trust the vendor more, right? So there's like, was this you? I just saw something happen. And, and I'm like, yeah, it was me. And, and then the next time I swipe my card at the, at the pump, it works. So I had this new connection with my bank that I hadn't before. And I thought, holy crap, that is the next generation of use case. That is so amazing because they they didn't just do the fraud, you know, anti-fraud measures. They actually connected with me better than I had been connected with them before. And that was the, the, the you know, the total holy shit moment for um, streaming data for me. I'm glad you brought that up because I had forgotten until Josh was like, fraud data is awesome. <laughs> yep, it is. Ning, how about you? What is it that you've seen that's sort of been really interesting to you and and made you really love this? I'm sure, you know, with your background, especially at Twitter, I can only begin to imagine the kind yeah, of I want to hear about Twitter. that you guys heard. Yeah, I want to hear know? about Twitter uh, workloads. Uh, yeah, workload is kind of high. I don't want, it's a little bit risky uh, to talk about numbers, but uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely right, a lot right. of data for sure. Uh, and also a lot of systems. Uh, yeah, we, we like a, Real-time compute team owns the, the engine part, so we don't really uh, work on the specific feature or job, really. Uh, basically, we are supporting our colleagues, so may not be, we, I may not have like a good example there. On the other side, my advice is uh, more like don't trust the engine. I think this is true for many like a big data stuff uh, because the system itself is kind of relatively complicated. Uh, the interface may be simple, like if you look at your code, just a few lines and it runs. But there's no magic, like underlying there are many things working together. Uh, so keep the things simple is definitely important. Otherwise, yeah. uh, if anything is wrong, it's not easy to fix. Not like if you have a simple Java program, you can fix by yourself. Uh, debugging investigation can be really hard. Uh, so keep things simple and uh, always like don't trust the engine or the framework too much like there there are limitations and uh, you don't know where the limitation is and hopefully like if you are lucky enough you don't need to push to this limitation too much to make your thing like reliable yeah uh, for twitter case yeah. it is a little bit tricky because of the data size then like here and there uh we may hit the limitations but then that's the that's the real work you know, it's interesting. They, uh, we, our last podcast, we talked uh, to data scientists, and they were talking about training, training models, and then deploying into production. And it's interesting because, you know, and I think it's fairly common. Data scientists will train off of some historical set, like maybe they'll pull it out of a database or whatever, right, or CSVs mm -hmm. or something like this, and then they deploy that into production. But then they're reading a stream of data in some way, or maybe it's you know it's sort of micro batching in its design. 
but the, those, those two like data sources are oftentimes orthogonal, right? Like how did you get it? What's the lineage? Even just the, you know, comparing schemas and things. So it was interesting when you say, don't trust the data, you know, I don't, I don't trust the data anyway. Like that's, you know, the whole careers are built on not trusting data, but uh, you know, like ultimately, like, I think you're right because, and especially with something like data science where they don't have, it's not like they have a, a connection to a relational database and a, and a well-known mm -hmm. schema and they're running SQL queries and it's repeatable and understandable. And like the, you know, the, the business reasons or the business, you know, um, terms for the columns in the database are all well-known things like that. You know, oftentimes streaming data from a schema perspective is is nuanced and opaque. Um, and we said this, you know, I said this last time, even in a, a big organization where they maybe they're using Avro and have a well-defined schema, it's still a mess for most folks. And uh, and so I think the sage advice, right, it, 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 just kind of repeating back what I heard is, um, it, it, and I think spot on and super interesting is just don't trust the data. And I guess my follow-up is, do you guys do different things because of that? What systems do you, you know, one thing would be like, do you use a Lambda architecture, uh, mm -hmm. you know, or something like that to, yep. to rectify data? Or what, what are your thoughts around how you deal with that if you don't trust your data? Yeah, yeah. I like uh, Twitter relies on Lambda architecture heavily. Uh, I think it's like ah. also try to keep, sim keep things simple because exactly once is uh, fairly expensive uh, and there are more right. work to do, uh, maintenance work or some other works. Uh, so that's why kind of the Twitter uh, Twitter is basically the real-time pipeline is using like simple solutions maybe. And then there's a batch pipeline, um, more complicated or more accurate calculation happens in the batch pipeline. Uh, so to keep the overall system simple, well, simple now that's a different story. Some people don't like lambda architecture because they have two jobs to maintain. Uh, right. I think. But from calculation point of view, like this, the benefit of these two systems are kind of maximized in two different directions. So we try to keep the real-time pipeline as real-time as possible and keep the batch as accurate as possible. So this is just one way. Uh, uh, personally, I like it, but it's really some personal opinion. Uh, some other people may, may not like it as much or may not like it at all. Uh, but I think it's a reasonable <laughs> technical decision. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you see the future of that? Like if you guys look forward, I don't know, a few years, five years sounds like a long time in the streaming world, but if you look, <laughs> if you look forward a few years, what does that look like in your mind? Do we, do we as, as a group, um, you know, as streaming engineers and, and data engineers do more, more Lambda style, you know, like you said, separation of concerns around uh, accuracy versus latency. Does does that does that scale? What are your thoughts there? Uh, I think scale wise, uh, this is easier to scale with lambda architecture. Uh, because like you have two systems, they have their own focus. You don't need to worry about everything in the mm -hmm. same place. Uh, it's, I think the challenge here is more about the complexity. You do have a two system to maintain, uh, like development maintenance. They are both extra works, uh, extra burden. Uh, so I think hopefully that's uh, my my personal feeling is uh, the direction is more like a, make these things as simple as possible, as reliable as possible. That's the overall direction, I guess. That's kind of uh, the same for many things. Lambda architecture is the same. Try to make it simpler. Uh, that could be helpful for many people. And uh, streaming is just like a tool. To me, it's not really better than the batch process or worse. 
it's just like a covers some use cases. I think there will be like more and more integration. Like Lambda is an integration of a streaming and a batch. Uh, I think better integration and a better, like a simpler solution is still, hopefully, and my, that's my hope. Uh, yeah. yeah. This is the direction to me. That makes a lot of sense. And that's something that we've talked about actually on the podcast and just internally a lot is it's a, you can look at it in one way where you can sort of use all data as a stream, even if you're looking at, you know, batch data from a database or you really need to be able, one doesn't really exist without the other in whatever form that you're using. So being able to make it easier to access in general and give people more power with it. So Wait, I just want to know, is, are Josh and Ning on the same page about Lambda architecture? Or is there like some inherent disagreement here that we could capitalize on? Uh, Ning and I disagree all the time. It, it <laughs> you guys obviously have, are passionate about streaming architectures because you've now you know, written a book and are writing a book about it. So talk to us a little bit about grokking streaming systems and what sort of what was out there that led you guys to to look at each other. I'm going to spill some beans to the audience of what Josh said to me before, which is they, Josh and Ning have not actually met in person. So clearly they have something to say about streaming systems that they decided to go in and write a book together. So what sort of drove that for you guys? About, I guess it was a little bit over a year ago now, um, I was contacted by, by Manning Publications. Um, and, you know, we had, you know, we just had a very casual conversation or at least, I, you know, I, I talked with a guy named Mike Stevens, they're all real nice. You know, we um, talked about, you know, the pros and cons of Heron, how it work, you know, how big the you know community is and stuff like, you know, and just talk about, you know, pieces around Heron at the time. And, and I said, well, I go the community's grown a little bit, but it's not as much as it could, you know, and I think the you know, the biggest blocker for a lot of people is that they don't understand what streaming systems are, how they work, what the issues can be and what the benefits right. can be. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, they were talking about, you know, writing a book for Heron. And I said, I go be honest with you. I don't think that's what you want to do. I don't think it's, it's going to, you know, do well. And so we had a few more conversations or we had another conversation or I guess further into that conversation, we got into it talking about, you know, what would really make a good book. And we talked about doing a framework agnostic book that people can really learn, you know, the core principles of streaming systems before they jump into a framework. And then from that conversation, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to write this. And so I called Ning and I said, <laughs> I said, let's, let's do this. We see it also. People either, there is that shade of gray where people can kind of understand what streaming systems are. I mean, people understand the concept of streaming data, but folks tend to either like really get it and they're super involved in it and they understand it or they really, it, it's completely foreign to them. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. it's, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, I think for me, similar, I think the lucky part, okay, let's see. It's lucky just to be positive. <laughs> lucky part is I have to work on it because that's my job. Uh, and then I was kind of forced to dig into the implementation and also all the concepts uh, at the same time. But I can imagine like for some people, this is not easy. And especially if you don't have the pressure like me, like this is the, your paycheck, it's maybe harder. It's a burden for you to like jump into if you are interested, but still not as easy to to start. So yeah. our hope is like this book is, we don't really care too much about the, the real like different kind of engines. We just want to introduce the concepts 
so right. like people can pick it up and then they can learn other things easier. Uh, that's our yeah. hope. And if they don't like it, like I'm interested, I just want to know the concept and then turns out, okay, this is boring. I don't want to spend too much time. Uh, it's also a good point, good for you, helpful for you. Hopefully save your life uh, yeah. for some time. Yeah. Probably the coolest thing about the book is that since Ning and I haven't met, we have these totally different opinions and perspectives on things. <laughs> like fake. <laughs> Well, it really is. I mean, you know, there's a lot of long conversations that we got to work through, you know, to get to the, you know, yeah. but because of that, it, you know, um, like, you know, there'll be a piece that I'll write and I'll think I got it all figured out, you know, it's perfect. And then Ning takes it and just blows it apart and says, no, we got to do it this way, this way, and this way. <laughs> and, and I hate to say it, but he's typically right every single time. And because of that, it, it makes, you know, better material. It really does. Yeah. yeah, that is interesting. In COVID times, it, uh, it, especially, it's, you know, if you guys haven't, you know, you've been co-authoring a book remotely, is that's a, that's actually a fascinating side story. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's helpful or not. Uh, in fact, this work from home thing uh, kind of make things like more busier. So it's, uh, in fact, it's like we have less time on the book. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So I have, I have a question um, for you guys on just her on in general. Um, and maybe, and maybe it's just generic advice, but you know, if, if I'm just thinking about what the audience might want to hear, you know, if I'm in their shoes, I'm wondering, you know, when would I use this versus, you know, you mentioned Kafka streams earlier or some, or, you know, Flink or anything else, writing my own, you know, consumer code or whatever that might be. Um, give us a, a couple minute kind of, you know, intro where, what's it, what's it great at? Why, when would you kind of think about using it versus other things? And, you know, maybe you just talk about kind of its, its you know, design benefits or maybe some, some you know, points that you think are particularly good about um, about Heron just as an overview it would be great. Then go ahead. Uh, okay. Well, I was going to ask you to go ahead. Uh, that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact. Okay, okay. I can go. I can go. Uh, All right, go ahead. Get it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like from the... Go back to the design goal for the hero. Hero is like the architecture of Apache Storm. So that's the basic story. Uh, the pain point is more like operation. Uh, so if something happens, uh, because at Twitter there are so many streaming jobs and uh, they had problems in different places. So if something happens, uh, investigation, investigation can be hard. Uh, so the for hero. Like many things are decoupled from each other, and uh, this can be helpful for the overall operational issues, uh, operational stuffs. Uh, so that's the one. So if you have different type of jobs and uh, you care a lot of operation, here may be like a worth a try. Uh, but the warning is because of the decoupling, uh, you have there are so many things to configure. Like the, at the start, you have to understand a little bit now more about like uh, what is uh, every configuration used for, like why it is used this way. Uh, I think another one is uh, here on functionality wise, it is mostly still the old API. There's a new one, but not as popular. And uh, there are not like uh, as many like more than fancy features. So if you need some like fancy features or APIs, then that's maybe better to, uh, maybe harder to use here on. So that's uh, another one. Uh, finally, finally, it's not really about here on. That's a more personal stuff. If I saw something so good, uh, too good to be true, like everything is good, for me, it's a negative thing. Like uh, you have to tell me what is the cost, uh, what is the trade-off. Otherwise, I don't know what to, if I can believe you or not. I think that's just a general personal thing. I have trust issue, so. 
Ja. <laughs> yeah, trap issues. Yeah, I understand. Your turn now, Josh. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think I said earlier that, you know, Heron really works as the data, f f the fabric on which data can travel between these different data silos and organizations. To me, it's it's the net, the mesh that connects all these different pieces of, a, of, a, of an organization together to be able to make decisions, to be able to join data, to be able to create events, to be able to do whatever you want to do. But a thing you got to think about, well, the plus and the negative side to Heron, I think, in, in particular, is that for one, Heron is a process-based architecture as opposed to threaded. So because of that, everything, Heron is more heavyweight, costs more money to run. However, it really creates what, like Ning said, that separation of concerns. Uh, I think uh, Kenny said that as well, is that, for example, if you were running a job back on Storm 1.x, and that's nothing against Storm, this is just an observation I made, is that if you monitor the logs of an executor, you'd see multiple components printing logs onto the same log, and it was really hard to manually with your eye, parse the logs. You'd have to, you know, different parts of the job would be printing at the same time, and it was um, can be very confusing. With Heron, um, you know, since everything is its own process, um, everything prints to its own logs, so it's easier to read and debug, and it's easier to parse with your with your naked eye. But the flip side to that, the downside to that is that there's many more moving pieces that you really have to take into account. You really have to in my opinion, understand the Heron architecture more than you would something like Storm because there's more moving decoupled pieces that can cause issues. We've talked a lot about kind of what got you guys to writing the book, what got you to where you are now, why you, you know, why you're working in streaming systems. What is it that you're excited about with the future of streaming data and streaming systems? And it can be, whether it's a part of the technology, like something that you can see coming on the horizon for, you know, hair on or, or whatever it might be, or it can just be a fun use case that you see coming down, you know, the pipe. What is it that makes you excited to continue down this path? Can you go first, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go. I'll go. Um, you know, there's a couple of things that excite me about you know, where streaming systems are going and, you know, where data is going in general, right? Um, you know, right now, um, you know, the people who are building machine learning models, uh, like Kenny said, are using some type of spreadsheet. They're using some data, you know, just some static set of data somewhere. Um, and as of right now, that's fine. You know, uh, it works. You know, but I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see, because I've seen people doing research on this and how they can you know, they can train models in real time using data that's brought in the pipelines. You know, I don't know what right. the repercussions of that, you know, could be, you know, how do you, how do you validate stuff's working correctly? Because, you know, right now, all of the stuff done with machine learning models is really, um, it's the practitioner using their best gut feeling in a lot of things, right? And so, you know, how do you automate that away? How do you use AI to do that? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that, but that is what excites me is to see people building models using real-time data to really increase, you know, it's just like that text message you got, you know, and when you swiped your card to really increase the effectiveness of a business in its, in its domain. You know, it's really, it seems really yeah. interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Oh, great. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. Okay. My turn. Uh, to me, my uh, my interest is not only in the streaming. Uh, I think it's more like data processing. Uh, with like a new technology, I think from the past few years, there we can say like so many more data have been like generated, collected. 
And in the future, it will be the same. I think there will be more and more data, uh, especially if we have like 5G, we have Starlink, like things like that. The network is improving. We will have more data to uh, to process. And the streaming, to me, is not just one type of technology. It's more like a make data processing more like a real time. So like we get information faster. Uh, so many like a real like affect your real life, make it better. I think that's the future. Uh, like machine learning is definitely one thing better as well, help you to just make your life better. That's the hope. Uh, it yeah. may make your life worse in some cases. That's, that's hope. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty much the, the I'm, just, I'm just hoping for a better life in the future. Like future life should be better. If you think of, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, it's interesting to me about that to add on to the, I, Leslie didn't ask me what I think's uh, cool about the future, but I'm going to tell her anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, what I think's cool is that, you know, there is so many, um, we were just talking to someone who, uh, who makes beer, uh, a company that makes beer and you'd know who it is if I mentioned their name, but you know, what's interesting is, is, uh, you know, a can, a beer can is a sensor. And if you know its movement or its, its connection to the other six or other five of them in a group, or you know how much is left in it or how often the accelerometer is going off, you can connect with your customers in new and perhaps strange and eerie and amazing ways. And, you know, they'll be, they'll be sure that where the use case just gets abused or doesn't work or is stupid, but the one or 2% where it's, where you're just going to absolutely delight the customer with streaming data. And they're just going to, like I was trying to say about the, about the, you know, the, the, the fraud alert that I got on my phone, there's going to be ways that, you know, people get delighted in the future. And I'm, I'm doubling down on Ming's point. So hopefully I'm making it a good case here um, <laughs> where customers are just totally blown away by the timeliness and accuracy and relevancy of data. Um, if we all do our jobs correctly. And that's kind of like um, where my head was at when you were speaking and you were inspiring me to, to, to think about this. I think that's cool too. And hopefully you're right. Hopefully we make our lives better and, you know, uh, you know, when we're out of beer, more beer shows up, or whatever the whatever the use case might be. Um, so anyway. that sounds wonderful. <laughs> it's possible they could work against you at some point, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Or maybe they just cut really you off. Or yeah. Right. Really double down on Ming's point. Sometimes it makes it better. Sometimes it makes it worse. Yeah. Right. yeah so, awesome. so healthy. <laughs> Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. This is, like I said, it's been super interesting. We've had a really great opportunity to chat with guests about Flink specifically and Kafka, but talking about Heron is, you know, our listeners are interested in kind of all aspects of streaming. So that's yeah, been super cool. Really interesting. And we're excited for the book and for listeners, check out the show notes wherever you've looked at this and I'll, I'll have more information on the book there as well. So thank you guys so much, Josh Ning. Really appreciate it. Yeah, great. definitely. Great. Thanks for chatting. Thank you, thank Leslie. You. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks to Josh and Ning for taking some time to talk today about Apache Heron, their perspective on today's data processing pipelines and their new book, Graphing Streaming Systems, which you can find the link for in the show notes along with the discount code for it. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about us, or if you have any questions for Kenny and I, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Aventador Labs or through email at hello at Aventador.io. Happy streaming.